just had to turn off my Roomba. Oh, yeah. It's a new thing for me, and boy, do I love it. Nice. Were you inspired by On the Rocks? No, I wasn't. I was an early adopter. Oh, nice. I mean, a good week before I watched On the Rocks. Right. I picked up a Roomba. Wow, ground floor. <laughs> yep. Actually, I, I, it wasn't just then. I got it on Amazon Day. Ah, uh, Amazon Day, simpler times. Yeah, AD. We're going to talk about movies instead of the election. That's great. That feels healthy. I think it's how great. You doing? I'm doing good. I forgot about the election when we rescheduled to today. And then when I realized I was glad, I mean, yeah. what else am I going to do? But doom scroll and, you know, yeah, think about I mean, what I can't change at this point. Right. It's, and it's a little too early in the day, maybe less so for you, though. We're all kind of in the same boat here. Yeah. But I feel like it's still just a lot of speculation and people reminding each other to breathe right right now i feel calm and it's not because i have any confidence at all it's just yeah. i don't know if i have much more anxiety i have in me so yeah it's kind of all been wrung out i feel like i had my trauma like four years ago like that mm-hmm. was like surprising and shocking and causing kind right. of a renegotiation of what is this world i live in um, yeah. Now I've lived in this madness and I'd love not to or live right. in a different version of the madness. Um, but it won't be, a, at least wouldn't be a surprise if the mm-hmm. result d- doesn't go my way. It wouldn't be like that shock. Right. It'd just be like, oh God. It'll be devastating, but it'll right. be, well, of course. It'll be like, right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the yeah, continuation of, of this. Yes. Right. Every every shoe that is, fall- it turns out there's a centipede with shoes right. and just, right. and they just keep falling. Yeah. And nobody cares to change anything about it. Shireen has more like PTSD and specifically like remembering four years ago. Yeah. Whereas I, I feel like I was naive then and I'm not naive now. So. Oh, well I have some bound up in this, that Tuesday is usually just a regular day where I go down to be with Isaac, my son, mm-hmm. and we have dinner there with them and his mom usually has something to do. And so it's kind of like, of course, four years ago was a Tuesday too, election day, right? Right. So I remember, you know, we went to Red Robin, we walked on the little marina down there and like me pacing up and down the hall while she's like out and, you know, this this can't be happening. And so I did feel like some anxiety yesterday of just being like, we're doing that day again tomorrow. Right. You know, but hey, here we are. Yeah. Then it's one of, it's a situation where even if everything goes swimmingly, then we're just back to an extremely shitty status quo right? where there's so much work to be done. But at least we, you know, put out that particular fire. But uh, yeah. I saw like some tweet, something to the effect of like, you know, isn't it something for a country to have its second civil war for the same reason? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Relitigate this. In the, yeah. In some the hundred, street. 180 years later. Yeah. It's wild. But you know one thing that won't change, regardless mm-hmm. of the election. What's the that? movies? The movies we've watched in the last two weeks. The movies, and there's a lot. They've piled up. <laughs> they sure have. We have quite a docket. Today. I've been watching so many movies, and this isn't on our docket. But I just want to share this because we talk about this sometimes. Is that I've been watching like a whole bunch of slasher stuff for mm-hmm. you know Halloween end of October, and I'd never watched the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And so, That's crazy. I'm watching it right now. I'm Yeah, I just watched number three. Where are you on to? Four. I just watched four. Oh, what? And so anyway, 
I feel like it is like heads and tails above the other franchises. Like yeah, I really I, like it better. Three than... is strong. Uh, I mean, it's weird as hell, but it's strong in character. I think. Yeah. Four was pretty disappointing. Two was weird. The original is very creative. Right. I just feel like it. It is better filmmaking, and hey, it's a little bit later, so they have that advantage. But that's not even an excuse because the seventies were a renaissance time for American filmmaking. Yeah. You know, and when I think of what goes into the scripts for typical Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween. Um, I feel like there was an emotional weight in Elm Street, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just I found it to just stand head and head and shoulders above those other franchises for me. So I far. think it's got two strengths. Uh, well, three if you count like the creativity of the visuals, which I think is also right. yes um, that it gets clever and and interesting to look at, and I like the puppetry and whatever stuff. But I think it has an emotional investment in the teeners and sticks with them with a little mm-hmm. bit of continuity, which they didn't do in the other. Oh, I did it with Laurie Strode sort of um, when they could get Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, but uh, having an emotional center with the kids and then also letting the, the monster be a character instead mm-hmm. of just a silent passive, you know, beast gives it a lot of life. Right. And I love that the monster represents their inner life like the kids mm-hmm. are all going through something and yeah. you really are your own worst enemy. And it's the, the calls coming from inside the house, you know, and, and it is yeah. what kills you. I, I mean, I couldn't believe two's gay themes for the era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, they denied them at the time, but I think that they have come around to saying, yeah, that actually was what we had in mind because right. that was like, I, I kind of known that and forgotten it. And I was watching it just like from the opening moments. I'm like, this is super gay. Yeah. And then indeed that was like the whole thing. Which is what makes it interesting mm-hmm. and makes it worth watching. I think as a sequel, it's pretty it's pretty atrocious in the way that it discards so much of what the first one was. Right. Yeah. But it does have that fascinating aspect of Yeah, trying to do this with a slasher movie. Um, and with the character of Jesse and all that, yeah, it was very in the eighties, yeah. yeah, with an with an openly gay. I mean, he was an openly gay actor, but now openly gay mm-hmm. um, actor. And you know the shirt, the cross shirt that they mm-hmm. gave to Bill Hader and it. Oh yeah, as kind of like oh, a yeah. homage to uh, mm-hmm. gay gay uh, male scream queens, right? Which yeah, yeah, that afterthought of his gayness in in it. <laughs> He's got uh, a secret. I'm remembering how. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. That was such a disappointing part, too. I really I had know. high hope for that, for those two movies. But uh... that's a situation where I wish they would have just made it more coy because yeah. contemporary audiences get it. Right. You know, so go for it, but don't do that hackneyed, cliche, right. gay angst. The guy's famous and 40. Right. I think he's right. okay. Yeah. Hey, along these lines, uh, not that we have to be done talking about Nightmare if you have more to say, but um, I had—I was going to do this as a surprise at the end, but since we're on this topic, it's perfect for right now. I followed up with an, one of your recommendations from a few weeks ago, and I watched Sleepaway Camp yesterday. You did! I finally caught up with that. I watched all the Sleepaway Camps this you week. You did? Yes. Are they worth keeping with? I, oh, I, yeah, they are. I mean, fascinating. Yes, it's both pro and anti-trans at the same time. Right. Like unthinkable, highly yeah. stylized performances. Right. Especially the mother. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. And oh, so there's anyway. so much about it. That oh. I was like, what? Because the, it opens with a tragedy. 
in a way that didn't put me in the mood for a slasher <laughs> teen nor, movie. Nor did I pick uh, up on the fact that those like dads were gay together. Right. That wasn't clear until no. the interlude in the middle. And then I was like, well, that's re- refreshingly casual. Or is that supposed to be disturbing? And right. from the 1983, is it part of what's make the, I think it's disturbing. So yeah. I think it was meant to be disturbing. And since I didn't catch the, that in the beginning, I didn't understand who those men were. I, right. I I thought, is this a strange dream sequence where they're just like laughing at two men in right. bed? What's happening? I was too distracted by the fact that the girl clearly died and the boy survived. And so then mm-hmm. I, I was confused by something that turned out to be the twist of the entire movie. Spoiler. Uh, but also, I had never seen this film until I got to the last shot and realized that I had seen a documentary about horror films that at length discussed that final shot, the mm-hmm. underage actress who was featured in that weird final shot and right. the, you know, the exploitive uh, aspect of it. But um, such a bizarre movie and, and making her so uh, relatable and sympathetic. Yeah. It was very strange. What is this just some dudes who thought this would all be twisted? Like what's the point of the movie? It's so messed up. Right, because beyond that, there's there's a there's inner turmoil and emotional upheaval from this character that we could have learned more about. Yeah. You know how they kind of made her mute, and then she opened up a little bit. But but we just I was it was so strange. I was genuinely excited for her when she smiled and liked a boy. Uh huh. Yeah. Like you feel for her, like you want her to be okay. You set a character up with a tragedy like that, and you're rooting for them. So you could do something interesting with that where they turn out to be a killer. But this was just kind of like, I don't know. It was very, very fascinating movie, but very clumsy and and left me with a weird taste in my mouth. All right. So let me just give you a quick rundown of the rest of the franchise. Okay. So in two, Angela is back and it's just accepted that she's now Angela. She's had what they call a sex change and it's just cool with that, even though that appeared to be a, a real, she was experiencing some serious dysphoria at the end of the first movie. It seemed yeah. like, you know, mm-hmm. up to being murderous and psychotic over what she was experiencing. And she had a um, severed head in her lap at the end oh, of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, with nary a backward glance, she goes, has a little re- respite, Yeah. Um, has um, gender reassignment surgery, and is now back as a counselor at the camp because they'll have her back. <laughs> of course. Right, but she just doesn't like the misbehaving campers. And so if you're a good camper, that's great. But if you're a bad camper, she murders you in a horrible way. And they don't keep her identity a secret throughout. Like, you know, it's Angela who's murdering everyone through the entire thing. So there's there's nothing there. The second movie, it's a different camp. It's like an outdoor, we're going to go intense experience. And we're going to try to put together kids from privileged backgrounds and underprivileged backgrounds so that we can all join hands and share our experiences. And um, Angela, I guess, decides she wants to come to this camp. So she mows down one of the campers with a Mack truck and takes on their identity. And she then just murders the campers at this camp instead. Is the actress uh, consistent? Um, it is between these two, but it's not the same actress from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was four that was never finished. And it just sat around. They have about a half hour of footage. But then someone got a, got a hold on that and took footage from the other movies and put it together like a flashback sitcom episode. Oh. And 
ultimately it was released as Sleepaway Camp 4. I couldn't sit through it. It was too bad and too boring and too much of what we've seen before. And it was just complete trash. They should have left that behind. Then there's Return to Sleepaway Camp, which has the initial director at the helm, and it um, brings back the initial Angela. Um, Wow. But there is so that that one I would recommend seeing because it's like this one kid who's like heavy, but he's a bully, but everyone makes fun of him, but he's stupid and walks into every prank, you know, and we're just basically watching this kid get tormented through the entire thing. And the murders keep on happening. And Angela is not what we think in in this one. And it's wow. completely unthinkable and unfathomable. And I've gone on a long time about these, but I would highly recommend you're sitting through the other sleepaway camps. They're yeah, okay. on, they wow. on Amazon. Is um is Jason Alexander in one of those? Oh, I don't know. I keep hearing I don't I, I thought I heard that he was in that series somewhere. In fact I thought he was in the original, but I I he was clearly not there. What's up with the way they dress the men? Like I, I mean, know. I know I was alive in the eighties, but I'm just like right. guys I grew up with did not dress like that. The, the guy in the half shirt the guy in the, in the half game. shirt at the baseball game those shorts that somehow they have more fabric than a speedo but they are right. more revealing <laughs> interesting to me that they had genuinely young kids yes and they're instead of 30 and, and the requisite 30 year old ones but they were mostly the counselors the older they kids. were and then like randomly you'd see like this four-year-old run by and i'm thinking yeah. whose kid is this Everyone who works there is like a pervert. We're just accepting sexual assault and pedophilia. Like that camp director, he does not even hide that he has a date with one of the counselors at 10 p.m. You know, he just comes in and like all the dialogue. Ah, the name's Meg. (laughs) M-E-G. What are you, a Peanuts character? You know, and they all had like, uh, you know, Metro New York, New Jersey accents. Uh And they're also (laughs) hostile. Like, I know that kids are cruel, but I feel like if a child is quiet and just kind of sitting off to the side, why are these, why do, why do people get so angry? Like when Meg freaks out at her next to the pool, like, answer me, you bitch. You know, like, what's happening? Yeah. Why does she care? And, and accusing the, um, Mel, is that his name? The owner, the cigar chomping Uh owner. He (laughs) accuses Ricky. I know it was you. You're doing this to ruin me. You're murdering people right. to ruin me. Right. Uh, like thinking that this kid has this whole agenda. Meanwhile, there's like an t- attack going on in the background. Mm-hmm. And like all the little kids are all just like pieces of shit. Like she gets right. rescued from the thing. They just throw sand at her. Like, no one ever reprimands the mean girls. No. Just like, can you, can you momentarily stop tormenting her? We had right. it's dinner time. Right. Right. It's just everything is like no camp on earth. Right. And it's just not how humans behave. Yeah. But that's so much, that's kind of the sick thrill of these 80s, mostly the, the, the slasher type movies, because you have amateurish actors and you have people who are more, more interested in the blood and the, and the content. Mm-hmm. And then they throw, they slap together the rest of the movie. And so you end up with these strange worlds. Uh, I think we've we've done our Halloween special a little late, but we uh, sure have, and I've enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that recommendation. Dan. Yeah, you're welcome. My life's not the same anymore. <laughs> All right, so here's what I have left: um, the Trial of the Chicago Seven, mm-hmm. Borat subsequent movie film, yep. American Utopia, 
On the Rocks and The Witches. I did not make it to Rebecca. I had to pick, and I picked The Witches because I'm <laughs> That's a good choice. <laughs> quite a fan of the uh, Hitchcock Rebecca, and I heard mm. not flattering things about the new one. I might Rebecca, catch up with it. Rebecca. Out of yes. curiosity. But anyway, so that's where I stand. Um, I, chronologically, I guess Chicago 7 is first. Great. Go for it. Um, all right. So this is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Um, he of the treacly political dramas and current events movies that uh, that uh, exist. And it's about seven uh, leftist protesters uh, during the Vietnam War who are then um, dragged into a show trial by the uh, Nixon administration to uh, really just make an example of them. There is an eighth a person on trial, and his name is uh, famously, of course, uh, Bobby Seal, who uh, is not part of the group, but is a Black Panther who is being dragged in just to kind of make the show more juicy for the the rabid conservative uh, base who is uh, dying to see a bunch of leftist long-haired protesters put in their place. Um, this is a famous incident with some famous players uh tom hayden rennie davis abby hoffman jerry rubin david dellinger uh are the uh the seven the titular seven but um i think i probably missed one is a uh, leonard wineglass i think he was no he's one who was he i don't know he was one of you the lawyers. Um, All this information the, the, two you, the two the two you didn't name i think are the ones who weren't convicted right uh F- freunds and wiener i think maybe other names <laughs> anyway this is uh also all those characters i just listed are played by a variety of recognizable uh it actors of the moment very good gets in this cast eddie redmayne as tom hayden alex sharp as rennie davis uh, sasha baron cohen plays abby hoffman uh interestingly jeremy strong as jerry rubin john carol lynch i'm always happy to see as david dellinger he's kind of the button down Mm -hmm. school teacher old guy of the group but he is uh probably one of the most uh uh one of the better organizers and activists of the crew and then uh mark rylance plays their lawyer william kunstler joseph gordon levitt is the prosecutor richard schultz who gets uh really uh cleaned up and (laughs) Uh, his estate must be thrilled that he gets portrayed as the good evil right-wing uh prosecutor well, anyway this is Joseph gordon levitt you know you're gonna like him right yeah um this is very much a aaron sorkin movie which means it's very slick it's very watchable it's very entertaining it also does not feel for a moment like it resembles real history it's incredibly contrived it, there, it literally ends with a slow clap in a courtroom uh, Frank Langella is the judge, Judge Julius Hoffman, who is constantly uh, agitated and angry and uh, gets their names wrong and is just this evil, evil, evil man. I don't know. I was conflicted on it. I ha- it was insanely watchable. I had I can't say I had a bad time with it or I was bored. It's just simply it's kind of silly and very Sorkinish. Somebody made a super cut on YouTube of lines and references in this this script that Sorkin has used before. Oh, so, for example, the thing, why do the French, uh, what, what is the line about French uh, only, ah, man, oh, why do the French only eat one egg for breakfast or something like that? Because an egg is in, one egg is a noof 
that has been in the West Wing. It's been in like other Sorkin projects. They just lined up all these lines that somehow he's used again and again. I don't know. Uh, this reminded me of our discussion of the Glorias, uh, whenever that was a few weeks ago. And the, the weird thing about um, kind of activism cinema, recent history cinema and having people play recent historical figures. And I, I would come, I would put uh, Cohen's Abby Hoffman up against uh, Bette Midler's Bella Abzug as just kind of a, <laughs> a cartoon character of a real person that existed not that long ago. I don't know, Dan, I'm starting to ramble. Uh, this movie has entertainment value, but as a as the inspirational movie it was supposed to be, it didn't really hit for me. Well, I liked this movie, and I think it mostly is because I expected not to. This I went into this movie as homework. I was not excited to watch it. And then I found myself interested and uh, entertained. I'll put it that way. I think that this was a pretty entertaining movie. I didn't think it came to any good, helpful conclusion. Like you say, that just out of control courtroom where they're still facing sentencing. And why couldn't that guy be silenced when he wouldn't stop reading when the judge told him to? And the right. judge is just ah, order, order, right. Right. you know, that's complete stupid. contrivance. Yeah. Right. Complete contrivance. I liked Langella, though, as the judge, because mm-hmm. that was such a hard role because it's just so slimy and horrible. And if it's at all based in reality, he's terrible, you know, arbiter of justice or not. You know, I hated him, but for some reason I liked him as played by Langella, just as as a performance. I I respected it. Um, Rylance is a a chameleon. Anything he does, it's like a little bit different. Um, I wasn't so put off by Sasha Baron Cohen. I thought he was a strange cast. I thought he was too old to play that part. Hmm. I wasn't I wasn't sure what he was doing playing that part. Um and it is just a trial procedural is all it is. It's not insightful. It it right. doesn't uh to me tell us anything about today. It doesn't tell me very much about back then except that this group of people were the public face of a of a real railroad job by a prosecution with an agenda and then it was kind of all turned around. And a big yeah. waste of taxpayer money and and people's lives. Yeah, uh, I'll, I would also throw in a mention of Michael Keaton, who shows yeah. up as former U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark and um, a very memorable scene. He's just owns the screen whenever he shows up in a movie. Um, but, yeah, I feel like this is maybe not to the same degree, but I remember us talking about movies like The Report, the one about the torture report. And mm-hmm. Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo, these activism movies that are supposed to be about yeah. you know a moment from the past that's supposed to be relevant now, but really it's just the story of of one person or a few people standing up against you know systemic treachery and having a moment of success, and that's how that's not really, especially when we're going through a period of history like we are right now, that's not really inspiring because it just shines a light on how screwed up everything still is. It's probably way worse than it was during the time that they're, you know, portraying. And I'm kind of shocked that, you know, Antifa people haven't been, you know, dragged into a courtroom for a show trial that would have ended in their incarceration. You know, I'm sure that's coming if things don't go well tonight. Um, so I just didn't make me feel inspired and like, well, at least we turned things around. Like it was a show trial and they knew that. And I think everybody expected, even with the sentencing, that it was going to be appealed and turned around. 
So it, I didn't feel a lot of stakes. It was just kind of an interesting, I guess it's interesting to have the the leftist resistance of the Vietnam era kind of explored and humanized and, but, you know, in a very Sorkin-y way. Yeah, and it is an inspiring, you're absolutely right, because really what they did was nothing. You know, they didn't do something brave in their protest, you know, yeah. to get them there. They were just sort of picked out as visible people who could, who they could prosecute. And they didn't do anything inspiring in the trial. They didn't fight for justice. Their lawyer wasn't all that great. You know, he was just fine. He yeah, was competent, right. but he didn't like go out on a limb. They yeah. just, uh, this thing happened to them and we just watched it unfold. Right. Yeah. I like that um, Fred Hampton was a player here. Um, he's a historical character that I'm only more recently aware of, but that's, you know, to my shame. And mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Kaluuya is playing him later this year. Oh. Um, opposite Lakeith Stanfield about um, Fred Hampton's assassination. Oh, great. Because he was assassinated by a member of the FBI who infiltrated the Panthers and was like Fred Hampton's right-hand right, oh, okay. right person. So in this movie, it was just, they got him, the, the right. cops killed him. But right. we're going to explore that more. And, the cops, did, that and the cops did do it, but the way they did it was through this person who I think right. is played by Stanfield. Oh, boy. Who That's then right. has to live with... Um, yeah. What they've done. Well, I'm now excited for that project. Um, yeah, that's the, I forget the title right off, but it's the Judas title, if you hear that thrown around. Okay. Cool. Uh, that's probably all I have to say about the trial of the Chicago 7, Dan. Um, it's long. It's on Netflix. It's got a good cast. It's entertaining. Uh, let's see. What's next? Do you want to talk about, well, I don't, who wants to talk about Borat? Do you have any... <laughs> do you have any do you have a history with Borat? <laughs> I mean, I saw Borat back in the day and I watched the subsequent movie film mm -hmm. as well. And so I don't think that I need to give a lot of background about what Borat is or right. the deal. But basically Borat's back, you know, and he's trying to turn in favors to redeem himself and he gets close to different people trying to offer his daughter as a gift to various people in the uh, American Pence. yeah, <laughs> executive administration and uh, makes an ass of himself and others in multiple different ways, in a lot of disgusting and repulsive ways, uh, a lot of shameful and offensive, not even like taboo. Oh, can you believe that he stepped his toe over the line? But it's kind of like, oh, how pathetic sort of sort of gags in a lot of ways. Um. I felt like most of this didn't ring true like his TV show did and even like some of his earlier movies did. Um, mm -hmm. it, it seemed like the people weren't being tricked half the time to me. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like there's absolutely no way a person who lives on Earth could be in that situation and not know that something strange was going on. Right. You know? So he is being sued by... Um the old black lady that looks after his daughter. And I think the lady from the cake shop, a couple of the people in the movie are suing him. Sure. And I can understand that. Um, at the same time, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that things went on and on and that they right. were able to hide high quality cameras as well as they did at so many different angles mm -hmm. and not have any recognition, but who knows stranger things. Right. I I yep. think the 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 lady who cares for the daughter she's lovely, 
you know, if, if she's a legitimate person, I don't see how that's really possible, but if she is then good on her cause she has the patience of Job. Um, right. Well, you know what? It is, it is that lady who's suing him, but the other one is the daughter of the old lady in the synagogue who is kind to him. Oh, I see. She has passed away since the movie was made. Oh my goodness! Okay. The estate basically is suing him, uh, and and to his credit, he's made large donations to both the synagogue and the family, and also the 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 lady, the babysitter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he, in the synagogue scene. He seems just like a mental case. Right. right. Like a, like a lunatic. Yeah. This, I'm not saying it's not, you know, it's not right or good at the same time. It's so over the top Yeah, that who is this lunatic? Right. I like Borat as a character. I mean, it's a little bit oversaturated. It was after the first film, it's like to Austin powers level of quotability and, and enough is enough. But I just, I like, silly voices and silly ethnic voices and there's very few that you can justifiably enjoy and even this is problematic because he's 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 chosen a real nationality right uh for this character but anyway uh i so i like the basic premise and i the 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 interesting thing is with the original film and with the the borat segments on the ali g show the old show he, he did where he originated most of these characters i back then i was so i was made so uncomfortable by the things that he would uncover the things that he would uh, explore with through the characters, the real people and the, the real things about America that would be kind of on display made me really cringe and not want to even look at the screen. And I found this time they've become, those things have become so familiar, so horribly familiar and mundane mm-hmm. that I was like, not nothing in this movie made me uncomfortable except just like, well, ew. Um, right, exactly. And so I still want to like the character. And I think the, the best thing this movie has going for it is uh, Maria Bakalova, I believe is her yeah, name, right. playing his daughter. I think that was a smart move. I don't know that it rescues the whole movie, but, you know, making it about her character and it's it's bizarre to even attempt to have the Borat character have some kind of an arc and learn something. Mm-hmm. But uh, still, I feel he said publicly that he made this movie for his daughter his teenage daughter. Um, and, and, okay, fine. That, that I think was the best thing this movie has to offer. But yeah, overall it just felt kind of like eh, 2020 doesn't need this. We don't need somebody to come in and blow the lid off of, you know, and, as you say, in, in a lot of sequences that feel extremely staged and people who like, it's not people make a lot of, of that lady in the cake shop writing Jews will not replace us on the cake. Either she was just in on it and went along with it or she truly went along with it as a real person and either one is not shocking in 2020 unfortunately no it's not and so i guess that that is a good way of saying what i'm thinking i feel like there's so much shocking and offensive stuff that is real that i don't need to see this fake version of shock and offense you know do i need to see um this actress pretend to menstruate at a dance and to yeah. watch everyone be repulsed because of course they would be right. What, right. what, what wasn't is exposing this... anything about the, the upper crust, right? Are you trying to embarrass them by coming and just saying horrible things at someone's presentation or group meeting? What, what is, what does this mean when it comes to satire? Right. What are you, what are you uncovering? You're uncovering nothing. Right. Also in the scene where he goes to the, where they go to the abortion clinic and there's this, you know, there's a joke 
where they're talking about it sounds like they're talking about one thing, but they're talking about another. And it seems like a really inappropriate uh, abortion discussion. I, I noticed that the the it's like a crisis pregnancy center type mm-hmm. of a clinic and that but they're talking to a man. And I feel like that was a safe choice because usually you would probably have a woman if you went to one of the like a little mm-hmm. Christian lady and like it felt like well that but that would be too mean that would be too much I don't know I felt like that was just such a, a kind of a cruel thing to put someone through uh, I don't know the whole thing just feels weird and the level of kind of um, configuration like this is all the contrivance I guess is the word again uh, it, it's just so obvious now yeah, it is obvious. I, I mean, clearly, I didn't really enjoy this. I wasn't like angered by it. You know, I sat and probably laughed a few times. I the whole thing with Giuliani at the end. Mm-hmm. I don't know what how he can defend himself with that. Really, yeah. the person who needs to have some explaining is his security detail that apparently looked through the whole room first and missed right. that there was a person hiding in the wardrobe. Yeah. Like that could have been a major security breach. Right. Yeah, yeah, in, insane. But again, it, you could look at it as like, oh my God, Rudy Giuliani, you know, is a nut job, and how fall, how far has he fallen, and how insane is he? But I didn't need this movie to expose. No, to I didn't need that. that and I sort of think to myself, yeah, he's a creep. And if someone led me into a sexual encounter uh, with a hidden camera, with the idea of putting it in a nationally released feature film, well, that sucks. Right. You know, like, and it makes me wonder, does I obviously people have to sign waivers, uh, but is it different when it's a public figure? Is that how he gets away with some of the stuff? I don't know. I don't know how that all works. There's people singing along with that awful song at the, you know, at the rally Uh uh, whose faces are blurred because I assume they didn't either. They did that on purpose to just shame these people as as an idea or they didn't sign their, you know, their waivers. Yeah. it's very it's a very strange project to undertake in 2020. I guess they tried. They thought maybe this would be a chance for relevance. But also just to, even as a creative endeavor, the movie acknowledges the fact that everybody in America now knows who Borat is. Right. And so that makes it very difficult for him to infiltrate American culture. Ha ha ha. But that also makes the movie extra weird and clumsy because now he's got to constantly be wearing bad costumes and Well, and that's part of what to me gives away the setup since it is so over the top. If he would play an American, let's say who was not, so did not look strange, did not speak with a different accent, was not this caricature of a person from another culture. Um, what, what uncomfortable conversations might you be able to film? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel yeah. like that would be an entirely different movie, but it, I think it, the Borat character is in his own way. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Well, that's the subsequent movie film. May it be uh, the last. Yeah, it probably ought to be. Uh, the next thing on my list, which I'm happy to talk about, is probably my favorite uh, thing that I've seen since our last discussion, mm. and that is David Burns' American Utopia, directed by Spike Lee. And it's a filmed performance of the Broadway production, American Utopia, featuring the music of both Talking Heads and David Burns' uh, solo career, including one cover song that I thought was a highlight. Um, Anyway, I 
Dan, have been uh, not only binging on Nightmare on Elm Street movies in 2020, I have been catching up with the music of Talking Heads, and I've long been a fan of David Byrne's solo music, and I've been kind of, I've had some some blank spots, uh, some gaps with the early Talking Heads stuff, so I was kind of primed for this show when it came along. Uh, and I got the the Broadway album earlier in the year, and I listened to it, and I liked it. And it had a lot of energy and it's a good performance, but I kind of felt like as an album, I would just rather listen to the original records. Anyway, it was then getting to see the performance as filmed by Spike Lee that I found uh, to be really pleasurable and and, uh, energetic and lively and weird. David Byrne is a weird guy. I kind of like old David Byrne, though, because when he was younger, he had this edge to him. He was like you know, this weird, he, he, he kind of functions like an alien observing human behavior. And a lot of his music has that, that kind of perspective to it. But I think he's getting a little softer and friendlier as he gets older and wiser, I guess. And I don't know, I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was a good performance. But to me, I also have come to really love a lot of this music. So that, that probably f- feeds into the enjoyment of the production. I liked Lee's direction I liked the way that he kind of mostly got out of the way and just filmed the performance well and then a few opportune moments he kind of injected his directorial identity into it and I enjoyed that as well what did you think of this Dan I didn't see it oh (laughs) sorry so no so I did not uh, find this I was just like this is an album this is a play this is a thing and I was just watching other things so I didn't follow up but it sounds like I need to watch it Oh, it's on HBO Max, so you probably nice. you don't have your uh, access to that anymore, which maybe why. You, oh, yeah. I got it back for the witches. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, it's on there. Um, and maybe it's not interesting to you. You know, it's it's if this is not music that you have a familiarity with, it might just be. I recommend it. I think it's well done. But um, yeah, so, I make I may catch up with it, but I don't. I don't. I can't uh, give any thoughts now. Okay. Do you have any kind of relationship with the music of Talking Heads or David Byrne? Or is that like a blind spot for you? Too? I, As you were talking, I discerned that Talking Heads is the name of a group. Yes. Great. Yes. No, so I do not. Probably their most famous song is Once in a Lifetime, which is kind of a weird spoken word, weird. Uh, it's been in a million movie trailers. It's always in like indie movie trailers to show that, um, you know, Matt Damon is in, a, is in downsizing and the world is upside down and crazy. It's like... Uh, it's at that point where it's oh. being used as trailer. Well, I'm sure. I, I'm sure I will recognize it then. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. Recommended. There, the only other thing I would mention is uh, I mentioned a cover song. Everything in this movie, all the music is Talking Heads uh, and David Byrne. David, David Byrne was the lead singer and creative kind of uh, leader of Talking Heads. Although I, I guess the rest of the band would probably take issue with that. And then he kind of left them and has had a solo career making music um, over these many decades. But one number in the show is uh, Jan- uh, Janelle Monet's song, uh, Hell You Tombout, which is a protest song about police brutality that uh, centered around the names of a lot of uh, recent victims of, of mm. police shootings. And that's where Lee kind of, you know, lets himself cut loose a little bit with the uh, cutaways and the, the stuff. You get like a little nice Spike Lee moment. So anyway, uh, that was pretty powerful moment in the film. Recommended. Nice. All right. Uh, what happens next? On the rocks. What is... What's oh, that? Yeah, we can talk about on the yeah. rocks. We just pull that up here. This is an interesting one. I have. Uh... 
Yeah, I don't know where I landed on this. Yeah, On the Rocks, of course, a new American comedy drama written and directed by Sofia Coppola follows um, father and daughter played by Bill Murray and Rashida Jones, both great here as they tail her suspicious husband, Marlon Wayans. I felt, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, (laughs) but I'll, I'll go back to plot. So Rashida Jones is married to Marlon Wayans and as happens to couples, sometimes they are just kind of stuck in kid land and kind of at cross purposes and feeling not very connected. And she gets in her mind that her husband might be having an affair with his um, attractive coworker and her father. It's not like he's a strange, but it seems like he's made a series of choices in life that is, have kind of pushed his family away a bit. And uh, it's his way or the highway. He lives um, according to his own rules. And he decides, I guess, because he's bored and has the means and the time that he's going to help her investigate what her husband's up to. So this leads them um, to bond a bit as father and daughter as they open up and share what's going on in their lives during this difficult period. And they end up in Mexico following the husband and things happen and love is saved and status quo is redeemed. And then the film is over. That's right. I remember that part. So I guess jumping right into it, what I was left feeling cold by was that it just sort of dismissed all the warning signs that the film clearly showed. You know, their relationship was garbage. That wasn't just her perception he did do some things that were inappropriate. We don't know exactly what they were, but he did them. You know, the way he traveled and hung out with his coworker, um, the way he kind of ignored his wife and family and then just sort of like, Hey, what, what, no, no, what, what, no, you know, no, there were real problems. And to just, and I'm just, you know, spoiler here, just to say, oh, no, you were completely wrong and off about that, and I've just loved you all along. Well, you didn't show that at all. I saw you on your phone and in silent awkwardness at your wife's birthday dinner after the fact when you missed it because you were traveling with this woman. Like, there are serious issues in this relationship and that were not solved um, by the events of the thing. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll just go back to the way it was and not stand up for myself and not want any better. And so in one way, it seemed like this was going to be like a woman empowerment movie. And then it was like, oh, shucks, sorry. No, not that. Right, yeah. And then I think of the relationship between father and daughter. I've seen it um, written about how is this Sophia and her father in a way that he's the guy everybody knows and who can get away with anything and lives a different kind of life than other people because of his career path. Right. And she's always kind of in that passenger seat and she gets it, but it's weird. And so, and it's maybe been a barrier between them, but ultimately they care for one another. And is she defending that even as she tries to find her own voice and her own agency? And is that, um, is that at cross purposes with itself? Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's all um, in line with, with kind of how I feel. I just also thought as a creative project, I was expecting something with a little more of an artistic mm-hmm. take. And it's really, I mean, it's it's nice. It's well done. It's well written. And the performances are great. Bill Murray is the right, you know, person for this kind of a part. But it also just felt kind of basic to me. It felt very much like a sitcom plot. Mm-hmm. Where, as you say, things that are that turn out to just be contrivance—that's the third time that word has come up—for uh, the sake of getting us propelling this kind of you know heist plot with father and daughter, and then when everything is revealed in I think a very kind of like '90s indie movie way, mm-hmm. like oh no, she's not—he's not having an affair. She's actually gay. Like um, that was just kind of like a cute solution to the whole thing, and then never deals with as you say all the all the other issues well if, if he's not cheating he is certainly working too much and then constantly talking about oh but we got you know the metrics and we really gotta drill down the social media whatever like mm-hmm. using the jargon to be like no i'll i'll love you guys later but right now i got this project so i don't know i felt like it was just a very basic movie that was fine and i think it the only moments it had where it transcended it just being kind of a uh a, a relationship comedy was some of the, the bill murray stuff particularly a scene in mexico before the plot kind of wraps up mm-hmm. of them sitting in a bar where he kind of has a moment where she gets a glimpse into his a whole emotional area of his life that's apart from her and her family and her mother and i thought that was interesting but it was just a glimpse it was just a little moment other than that i felt like he was almost like a wes anderson character with all of his kind mm-hmm. of props and his car that backfires and i don't know it was it was a it was a weird movie i did i didn't mind watching it i was entertained by it rashida jones is great she should have more opportunities to to helm uh, to lead a movie like this but um this one's okay yeah i found him to be such an unlikable character i felt like he was aggressive and he didn't have any boundaries and he wouldn't accept people's no's. He wouldn't honor what people wanted. He just kind of like barged into their life and insisted on his way. And I know some people are like that, but I don't have to like it. Right. Well, that's really, I mean, not to be, not to politicize it in a dumb way, but that is the Trump ethos. And you realize Bill Murray, the only difference between the, the this kind of screen persona of Bill Murray and like a Trump is that there's just a little more of a winky charminess to it. But yeah, he is still someone who does whatever he wants and his fame and charm kind of just see him through the experience of life. Yeah, I didn't care for it, but it was completely fine. It was an enjoyable watch. It's one of those things that I think I'll barely remember I saw and it'll be, you know, buried on Netflix or something in a couple of years. Like, yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. Uh, For sure. Okay, so the witches. Um, here's the thing with the witches. This is on. Is this also on Apple TV or is I like, HBO? HBO. Okay. This is a, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, which was for me a red flag. I was not looking forward to watching this movie. So I think the fact that I sort of enjoyed it um, has to do with my expectations going in, and uh, but. I also have some grievances. So this is written by Zemeckis. Interesting uh, screenwriting situation. Robert Zemeckis, uh, Guillermo del Toro, 
Uh, Alfonso Cuaron is a producer. I thought he was also the co-writer. That to me was like, wow, but he's only uh, a producer. But still having Del Toro work on it, I guess there's a little bit of evidence of that. Um, so because this is directed by Robert Zemeckis, who in his later career in recent years has get, been given over to these kind of bloated uh, technology movies, showcases like, you know, the motion capture Christmas Carol and Beowulf and uh, Welcome to Marwin and things like that. So having him do a Raoul Dahl adaptation, I really expected an overlong uh, kind of over the top um kind of like overly cgi'd and uh and and i guess you you could call this movie all of those things but it wasn't nearly to the degree that i was expecting i kind of the thing i like about this movie is that it's simple and straightforward the really the only uh liberties taken are with the setting and the race of the main characters which i thought was an interesting thing i don't know mm-hmm. that they do much with it and they but they they also don't really hammer it too much it's just there and i thought that was an interesting choice i liked it too uh, that we have, um, excuse me, the click back over to cast, uh, Octavia Spencer, of course, playing grandma. And, uh, this is Jasri Bruno. Is that the boy's name? I think that's the little boy. And, uh, I think he did a great job. She's interesting. And Hathaway is the main witch, the grand high witch. And Stanley Tucci is a put upon, uh, hotel director. So, uh, as an adaptation of Dahl, as I say, I thought this movie was a little more simple than I thought. I thought Zemeckis wouldn't be able to resist adding in all sorts of chases and and building on the mythology. But it's actually, I was surprised how straightforward it was. But I also, that's one of my issues with it, is that it was like point A, point B, point C. Here's a problem. Here's the solution. The solution works. Here's a problem. Here's a solution. It might not work. No, it worked. Um, it was very like straightforward. And I remember the 1990 witches with Angelica Houston. And granted, I was straight up a kid when I saw that one. But I remember it being terrifying. I remember the witches being grotesque and scary and this real sense that they were going to get you. And in this one, I don't know, I kind of felt like the witches were goofy. I felt like they were funny characters. They were um, goofy. Probably, what's that? I was going to say they they were goofy. I, I'd like to revisit the 90s one. Um, maybe. Yeah. Not not really revisit, but I'm just saying after having seen this. Because yeah. to me, did this add anything, really? I mean, I liked watching the cast. I thought it was a good cast. Anne Hathaway, I like her more and more as the years go by. Yeah. And I feel like MVP was Octavia Spencer, you know, just barrel over the falls, this ridiculous character. Right. Yeah. But yeah, there's a problem. And then the characters work together to try to solve it. And then they do. There wasn't really anything new here. Yeah, and, and I, that's why it's weird that I'm saying I'm on the one hand applauding Zemeckis for not like over because I'm I think movies, especially adventure movies for kids these days, are so formulaic and they just they have to increase the peril and increase the last minute twists and the last minute rescues and whatever to just make it more exciting than the last movie they saw. And so I want to acknowledge the simplicity of this movie, and yet I think it's too simple. I think it's not that exciting. I think it's very too straightforward. And the characterizations are so juicy of the High Witch and of Grandma that I wanted to see kind of more between them. I wanted there to be kind of more of a showdown than just kind of literally one scene. And, it, you know, it works out for the good guys. Spoiler. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I guess the book is like that. So I imagine that's probably Guillermo del Toro in the writing wanting to be faithful to the book. Raul Dahl books are very straightforward. 
um, and simple and short. But um, I don't know. I it's an interesting experiment. It was I thought it was going to be a disaster, and it wasn't. But it also oh. I think I'd recommend the 1991 over this one. Yeah, I found the CGI to be distracting. And I yeah. feel like if you can't improve or bring a new insight, then why do it? You know, why not just read the book? Because the yeah. book is is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think we're always like a little bit late on all these things. I think if people wanted to check this out, they did probably prior to Halloween. But um, there it is. Uh, Chris Rock is in it as a mm-hmm. the kind of narrator. And I, I love Chris Rock, but I find his voice to be so singular that it's kind of distracting whenever he does voiceover. I don't I don't know that I I don't know that it improved this movie to have Chris Rock as the narrator. To me, it was kind of like it's so specific that it takes me to a very specific place whenever I hear. Yeah, you, know, you so. can never kind of escape that you're listening to Chris Rock for sure. Yeah. And Kristen Chenoweth, it took me a minute to recognize. And then I thought, what is this kind of lackluster check collecting going right. on here? Yeah, yeah. Um, And she was the, the other mouse, right? Uh-huh. So how long has she been a mouse? Is that a horrifying sub left left on left unexplained? Yeah. And then they say, Oh, well, how long am I going to live? Oh, mice live like about this long. And it's just like a few years. Oh, okay. That works. Like right. wouldn't, wouldn't there have been any right. angst that maybe you right. lost 60 they, years yeah. of life? Weird that they chose to even address that right. and then kind of dismiss it. Like, okay, well, that's fine. I'll take that. Right. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Weird. Uh, yeah. Well, that's all I got, Dan. You also saw Rebecca. I did not. Do you want to briefly address it, or would yeah. you, you think I should see it? And, and no, I don't. I don't think you should see it unless you want to. Um, so I am drawn to the title, Rebecca. I just do like the the novel and some early adaptations. I, I'm. I think the story is compelling. I like these kind of romantic gothic horror novels from the 20th century. I think they're great. And there was a musical adaptation that famously. Was just could not get up and going and they started rehearsals and then it turned out there was a conspiracy that someone had pretended to be a German producer and like it was just all of this um, material that actually would have made a more interesting musical than Rebecca the musical but I remember kind of following that mayhem and it was just so so melodramatic Rebecca the musical um, but anyway, this is just plain old Rebecca back again, starring Lily James and Army Hammer and Kristen Scott Thomas, who, by the way, is like she's in another movie. Like, I feel like she's the only one who gets what this was trying to be. The rest don't. It reads like a travelogue. It's just um, checking off the boxes of what happens in the story. Uh, no new insight, uh, no new artistry or creativity. Why in the world they made it, I am not sure. I, I you just kind of watch it and like, yep, that was the that was the story. It's kind of like uh, a high school putting on Romeo and Juliet. Yep, they did it. You know, but <laughs> yeah. but why? Right. Because you know, in high school, the answer is oh, so the kids can have the experience of being in a play and learning this great literature. But like these actors didn't need to do this. Mm-hmm. So why they do it? You know, I, I didn't. I didn't need to see them do part. this. They didn't need to do it. Nobody. Nobody needed this. All right. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I heard, um, which is disappointing because I think it would be interesting to, you know, that movie. If you want like juicy themes and and uh, opportunities for acting, right. Rebecca's not at all. All right. Well, I will continue to avoid that uh, new version of Rebecca. 
Yeah, watch oh. Sleepaway Camp two and two and three instead. Okay. I will. And uh, you, you're uh, about to experience uh, Nightmare on Elm Street four, which I yes. don't think is as good as three. But um, the, the what the aspects of it which bear continuity to the previous one are interesting. I'll just say that much. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Hooray. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. I didn't think about the election until just now when I thought about it again. So mm-hmm. that's like an, hour, was like an hour show. This is a, uh, it's a lot going on. Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been our podcast. We're Dan and Josh. And uh, thank you for listening. Our music, as always, is by Jonah Rapino. And uh, you can follow the show and stuff and things and, and you, you, you know, the drill because you're listening already. So thank you. And uh, take care, Dan. I'll see you uh, next time I talk to you. I guess it'll be a different world. I sure or will be. Same world. <laughs> or a worse version of the same world. A worse version of the same world. Uh, be well. Goodbye. Goodbye.